Welcome to The Firing Line with Philip Naiman. The Firing Line radio show is brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside, CCW Safe, Cutting Edge Bullets, Vortex Optics, Vortex, the Force of Optics, and by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. Good. Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. Filling in for Philip Naiman this week is Rick Travis, Development Director of the California Rifle and Pistol Association. This week, Rick Travis joins us on Skype. Good afternoon, Firing Line listeners. This is Rick Travis, the Development Director of the California Rifle Pistol Association, filling in for the great Phil Naiman this week. And today we have special guest, California Rifle Pistol Association lobbyist, Hunter extraordinaire, Mr. Roy Griffith. Roy, welcome to the show. How you doing, Rick? Great. Hey, Roy, I want to kick this week off with a, a little bit of angst that both of us face and then have you talk a little bit about where we're at in the litigation process. But many of you, if you haven't seen it, you can go to crpa.org and watch on the videos. But we have a video posted up there of the PETA commercial. That's the um, not people that eat tasty animals, but, you know, the people that are against us hunting and, and often owning our own pets who want to have a commercial, get this, at the Super Bowl with the national anthem being hummed in the background of every animal in the wild taking a knee like they were Colin Kaepernick, including the American Eagle. And Roy, I, I wanted to open that up with because I truly don't believe people understand how left and crazy it has gotten in this state when it comes to fighting for people's rights, not just their, their Second Amendment rights, but even down to the rights for people to go into the field and hunt and do other things. Yeah, well, as you know, Rick, and many, many of the listeners don't, I dedicated 30 years of my life to protecting wildlife. You know, I love wildlife. I love our great outdoors. We have an incredible wildlife resource in California worth protecting, worth taking care for, worth embracing. But my God, to put these human feelings into an animal like that is disgusting. You know, there's a big fancy term for it called anthropomorphism. You know, when you impose human feelings onto a wild animal. But <laughs> to uh, not only to do that, to portray animals like that, there's no eagle in this nation that will take a freaking knee to the national anthem. That is just so disgusting. Those birds are fighters. They're, you know, they're incredible animals that deserve our utmost respect and protection and portray them in such a ridiculous manner. Yeah, it disgusts me. Am I surprised? No. Am I disgusted? Yes. And I'm, I'm thankful the nation didn't have to be subjected to that and, and that PETA didn't run that out. I, you know, I could see some staffer in a cubicle coming up with that crazy idea and being allowed to draw a pencil sketch, but the fact that it got even beyond that kind of a crazy idea and their management invested the time and money into creating that thing, uh, it, <laughs> I thought I was scared enough with the reality of the situation. But, yeah, that's our, that's Californica. And that, and that also goes to point out what you just said, the fact that they wasted that money that donors have given believing they were helping out animals and wildlife, but it's being done to to create a total mockery of the very thing they donated to. But well, enough you, on... You hit the nail on the head, Rick. I mean, hunters, hunters and sportsmen and women throughout the, the nation donate hundreds and thousands and millions of dollars a year through excise taxes and 
license and tag fees and, you know, almost, at least in California, there's a law that says that has to go right back into management. And these poor suckers that donate to PETA don't realize that where their money goes when they're not buying habitat, they're not enhancing habitat, they're not protecting wildlife, they're doing ridiculous lawsuits and creating commercial garbage like that and paying attorneys. So, you know, it's, it's a horrible waste of money and resources. So speaking of a uh, waste of resources and horrible things, you know, I see all the rumors out there, which I'm sure our listeners do as far as what's happening in the legislature this year. You and I have talked about some of the different um, various groups grandstanding that they defeated this or defeated that. Can you touch on the fact that nothing's really been defeated yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of people trying to make money off of the inevitable. Bills have died. AB for 18, for instance, these two-year bills that we faced last year, we we put them in the in the grave last session. They were two-year bills, so they came back and lived again, and and they're just cycling out. You know, last week, numerous of those bills died completely, and will we see them again? You know, we can't. We're not going to. We would rather be accurate and second in preventing and in presenting information to CRPA than first and wrong. You know, to say that that uh, tax on firearms is dead this year is it's it's the bill AB 18 is dead, but we have no idea if we're going to see that bill again yet. And that ridiculous transfer uh, bill AB 688 that Chu had that would require you to have a basically a safe in your automobile bolted to the frame. That finally died an ultimate death last week, but are we going to see some form of that again? We don't know. And I would like to make a quick comment on that. Is it not true that most new cars have no frame, so there would be no way to bolt a safe? Oh, yeah. That bill was was problematic from the get-go. There was a thousand things wrong with that. Unibody construction, uh, modern electric uh, automobiles, the frame is a battery. Go drill a hole into that and see what happens. Yeah, it was... (laughs) You know, we, we all kinds of problems with that initial bill, you know, just a UPS driver, you know, trying to deliver 50 firearms to Bass Pro Shop, you know, just it, it, you can go on and on and on. But thankfully, it's dead for now. But there's some placeholder bills. They play the same game we play. They put a bill in the chute that's not going to draw a lot of attention while they get their facts together and, and hammer out the real piece of ugliness they want to put forward. And there's a couple of placeholder bills by some of our biggest rivals sitting there that don't look too toothy right now. You know, just put a minor word here and there in existing language. But we know what they're up to. We know their placeholder right. bills. And we're not going to comment on them and put out bad information until we see after the end of this month, you know, when the deadline for final bill language being put in. And then we'll have a better idea what we have going forward. And we'll certainly do our best to let our our members and, and our readers know what's going on and what we face in 2020. And I want to really point that out, that anything you as the listeners are seeing right now, that this bill's out or that bill's out, we honestly aren't going to know till the last week of February what really is or isn't there. And so I want you just to be cautious before you donate money because you think, hey, somebody is ahead of the bandwagon. They're doing exactly what Roy's been honest with you about and has been honest with the Americans and Californians for over 30 years of his career, is that there is nothing in play that is verifiable until that time. Yeah, well said, Rick. And even after that, you know, the classic getting them in, we all know the horrors of SB 1235, you know, a couple, three sessions ago that made its way through the entire half of its life as a clean energy bill, make California better again, you know, greenhouse gases and 
Yet, in its last committee, our buddy old De Leon grabbed it and got and amended it and turned it into our worst nightmare, SB 1235, that created all these ammunition regulations we're facing now. So, you know, that's the only caveat I'll put on that. We, we got a good idea what we're facing at the end of this month, but, you know, Katie barred the door. They they control the rules, they control the House, and, and they do what the hell they want to do with some of these bills, too. But we're on top of it. We're watching these things close, and we'll get our our folks accurate information in a timely manner that's for sure Roy I want to thank you for everything you do and I want to point out to the listeners too that um, while you're up there for just a California Rifle Pistol Association you have almost single-handedly along with Sam Paredes of Gun Owners of California assembled probably the finest group of 2A lobbyists and pro-conservation hunting lobbyists that this state has seen in probably 25 years um, you know, bringing some of the people from Cal Waterfowl, Rocky Mountain Elk, National Shooting Sports Foundation, groups that most of our people probably wouldn't think of, like, you know, the American Kennel Club and others. You have brought this group of incredible lobbyists together to strengthen our voice and to really build an army against the overwhelming odds that we faced, like you said, three years ago when Gun and Men was there. And you continue to do that work. And I just want the people of Southern California, especially the Inland Empire, to know just what an incredible amount of work you do day in, day out, 365 days a year has been amazing. Well, maybe 350. I do go hunting a lot. Thank you, Rick. No, thank you. And uh, and that's the other point I want to point out. Roy doesn't just talk about this where so many people I've seen in this movement talk about it. He is actually out there. Um, and, you know, he says hunting and some of you may have been, oh, he's out, you know, goofing around. I'm going to be really clear. This guy, even when he goes and hunts, he's taking kids, youth, and even big kids who have never, ever hunted and, and using all of his years of experience as a former game warden. And as a person who just loves you know, wildlife, as he said at the beginning of the show, he's out there helping those people learn what it's like to be in the wild and helping them to have a successful hunt and a safe hunt. And uh, he takes politicians out. He takes members of staff out to ranges, goes and speaks up and down the state, helping to get people out there in the field. So he's not just talking. He is walking and living the very thing he talks about. And that's what I want to encourage listeners to do is we need to do what's called a plus one effort. Roy has been doing this for years. I work on doing this. And that is all of us just need to take one person this year, whether it's to the gun store, to the range, to a safety thing, or out into the field. We'll be back in a couple of minutes with Chuck Michelle, the attorney for the California Rifle Pistol Association and its volunteer president. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick. Hey, folks, welcome back here to Firing Line Radio Show. And you know, every week our conversation is going to revolve around firearms, hunting, gun rights, all the great stuff afforded to Americans under the Second Amendment of the Constitution. Now, our faithful companion, the battle to uphold these rights, has been our longtime sponsor, Vince Torres of Bullseye Sports Guns and Ammo in Riverside. Now, if you're not armed for protection or recreation, well, shame on you. Head on down to Bullseye Sport in Riverside, where you need to go for small arms, rifles, shotguns, ammo, accessories, and much more. And after you purchase that firearm... 
We highly recommend you attend a certified firearm safety and training course, one that's going to teach you the basic knowledge, skills, and attitudes essential to the safe, efficient use of your firearm. For more information about the certified firearm courses, call Bullseye Sport in Riverside, 951-823-0211. Visit the website, bullseyesport.com. I think they're even on Instagram. Check them out there. Because at Bullseye Sport Guns and Ammo, they believe in safety first. 951-823-0211. It should be number two on your speed dial right now, folks. Check them out. Go, go say hi to Vince. Give them some good business. Filling in for Philip Naiman this week is Rick Travis, Development Director of the California Rifle and Pistol Association. This week, Rick Travis joins us on Skype. Welcome back, listeners of Firing Line Radio. This is Rick Travis, the Development Director of the California Rifle Pistol Association. And I'm happy to have with me in these next few segments, Chuck Michelle. He is the Volunteer President of the California Rifle Pistol Association and the owner of Michelle & Associates, the number one law firm in the Western United States fighting for your Second Amendment rights. Chuck, it's good to have you on the call as always. And I want to open up with you, uh, you know, a lot of people are asking us about this New York case. Everybody's been hearing it. There's lots of rumors out there. But you actually know the significance. I know you and I have had lots of talks about this, including at SHOT Show. Could you let the listeners here in the Inland Empire know what is so significant about the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association case in front of the Supreme Court? Sure. The uh, Everyone, I think, by now should know that in 2008, we got the Heller decision, and in 2010, we got the McDonald decision out of the United States Supreme Court. Heller confirmed what we'd been saying all along, that the Second Amendment protects a fundamental individual right. And McDonald confirmed that uh, the... Second Amendment limits state and local infringement as well as federal infringement on that individual right to keep and bear arms. And ever since then, that's 2010, there has been a, an effort to get another case back to the Supreme Court to confirm what the standard of review is when challenging a gun control law on Second Amendment grounds. The standard of review is a legal uh, uh, process that uh, the courts apply when they're trying to decide on a, on a law's constitutionality. And so in some cases, it, it depends on, on how significant the court deems the right to be or the specific conduct that's being prohibited by uh, the law in question and whether or not that conduct infringes on that, that sort of core fundamental right. So in First Amendment uh, litigation, for example, the court will apply different levels of scrutiny depending on whether or not it's political speech or commercial speech or just uh, something less significant, perhaps. And they will have, if it's political speech, then they'll apply something called strict scrutiny. If it's something less than that, they might apply intermediate scrutiny. And if it's something less than that, they might apply rational basis. And they, those things, those tests, levels of scrutiny basically just mean that the court looks at a statute harder or not quite as hard uh, in determining whether or not it's constitutional. So under strict scrutiny, most laws will get struck down. Under rational basis, most laws will be upheld as constitutional. So the, it's a key question on what standard applies when you're, when you're challenging a law on Second Amendment as a Second Amendment infringement. Uh, and so there have been a lot of cases litigating this issue in the last 10 years and a lot of cases where we think the lower courts got it 
wrong, very, very wrong. In fact, perhaps uh, uh, some of those judges were so biased that they really didn't want to have any kind of a level of scrutiny that would strike down any kind of gun control law. So they bent over backwards intellectually to uphold a lot of laws and apply the wrong standard of review because this was addressed in the Heller opinion, and they basically just applied a different standard and called it something else. Uh, but it's effectively intermediate scrutiny with a mustache, which means uh, there's a lot of room for the courts to put their thumbs on the scale of justice and uphold the statute, even if it shouldn't be upheld under the proper standard. So trying to get back to the Supreme Court to set that standard of review has been an ongoing battle that CRPA and NRA have been very, very involved with. And we've had a number of cases get to the Supreme Court, Peruta uh, probably, uh, stands out in, in most folks' mind the challenge to California's prohibition on uh, carrying uh, in public without a license that's very difficult to get in, in many jurisdictions. Uh, but the, the, the court, uh, several of the justices on the court wanted to take that case and others challenging laws on Second Amendment grounds, but they didn't have the four votes that they needed to get, to take the case. It takes four votes to take a case, five votes to win a case. Uh, so the courts, the Supreme Court did not take those cases. But now Justice Kennedy has retired, and we believe he was the one that was voting not to take those cases previously. And we have two new justices, thanks to uh, the Trump administration, who appear to be uh, respectful of the Second Amendment and 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 inclined to strike to apply a standard review that strikes down more laws. So the New York City case, long way around the barn to get to this point, uh, the New York City case, has, was after Justice Kennedy retired, the New York City case was actually taken by the Supreme Court. It challenges a New York City law that uh, requires you to have not just a permit to have a gun in your house, a premises permit, but also a special permit, which you can basically not, no one can get, to take that gun outside your house once you have a premises permit. You can't even take it to a range of your choice. You can't take it to a second home in New Jersey. You can't take it hunting. It's completely uh, homebound, essentially. Your right to keep, to, to keep and bear arms is you're stuck with the gun in your house. So the court took that case and then New York, uh, to try and avoid having to litigate it, repealed the law to try and make the case moot. So that's become a sideshow, whether or not the case is moot. Uh, but the, the Supreme Court held oral arguments on December 2nd. And in fact, we'll be talking about that in the next issue of the California Firing Line, CRPM Magazine, and had oral arguments. And there was a lot of argument about whether the case is moot. And then there was argument about what the appropriate standard of review should be. So if the Supreme Court sets a new standard, either says it's strict scrutiny or it sets a new standard uh, where you look at the history of a bill and see if it was, you know, were, were these kinds of laws common at the time the founders passed the law, it could be a total game changer for Second Amendment litigation. And a, mod, a lot of the cases that we've already litigated and in many cases lost because the court was applying the wrong standard will have to be relitigated uh, across the country, but in particular in California. So it's we're on the verge of a Second Amendment renaissance, whether it's the New York City case or one of the other cases that are queued up at the Supreme Court uh, that the Supreme Court is holding, has not granted review yet, but is holding. Uh, one of those cases the Supreme Court will take, and one of those, uh, and when it does, it will. We we believe it will reset the 
the standard of review and give us a Second Amendment that actually has some teeth and we'll be able to take back some of the freedoms that we've lost because of all the terrible laws that have been passed in California. So, Chuck, I want to go back to what you said, the renaissance. I think, you know, people hear that as a catchy term, but I don't think people really, when I'm out speaking to them, understand just how many lawsuits that we're going to be able to file to start to take back all the ground that's been robbed from us over the past two, three decades. Yeah, folks should have a lot of hope. Uh, All is not lost in California. We are probably going to be heavily reliant on litigation because we have great lobbyists up there in Sacramento, but that largely that playing field is rigged these days. Uh, even Democrats that would want to vote against the gun control law, no matter how, you know, because of how stupid they know it is, how pointless they know it is, are strong-armed into voting for it by the Democratic machine led by Gavin Newsom. So, there's still hope up there, and Roy and Sam and Dan and all the other folks that are on our side up there lobbying against those those uh, bad bills. Do uh, Yeoman's work. They managed to stop a few, but ultimately a lot are going to get through, a lot have already gotten through, and that's why we have lawsuits like the Rody case down in San Diego challenging Newsom's ammo background check law, which is such a fiasco, and bans on the possession of magazines that hold over 10 rounds, but there's so many more things we could do. We need to strike down this roster of, uh, uh, you know, so-called unsafe handguns, which really has nothing to do with the safety or, or, or not of a handgun. It's just, it's a target rich environment. Once we get that new standard of review. And we're going to come back in our, our next couple of segments and talk about that in more broader and then finish up today's show with how you can get involved as the individual out there in the Inland Empire and help to take back foot by foot, block by block, mile by mile, the rights that we have had squandered by our previous generation. We'll be back in just a moment. Have questions about handgun safety, local sports shooting events, or your Second Amendment rights? Just ask Vince at Bullseye Sport in Riverside. Get practical advice. No sales pitch. Vince is a straight shooter when it comes to sharing his advice and years of gun experience. Whether you're a seasoned gun owner or a newcomer, at Bullseye Sport, they welcome everyone, especially ladies considering a firearm for the first time. When they go to our store, we want to give them something that they're going to feel comfortable with. And if you're looking to purchase a gun, ammo, or accessories... If we don't have it, we will get it for you. For all the answers to your rifle and handgun questions, just ask Vince at Bullseye Sport. 951-823-0211. Bullseye Sport in Riverside. Proud sponsor of the Firing Line Gun Show, Saturdays at 1 p.m. on AM 590. Follow Bullseye Sport on Facebook for your inventory updates or call 951-823-0211. 951-823-0211. AM 590. The answer. This portion of the Firing Line is brought to you by CCW Safe by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. Spartans! Lay down your weapons! Persians! Come and get them! Filling in for Philip Naiman this week is Rick Travis, Development Director of the California Rifle and Pistol Association. This week, Rick Travis joins us on Skype. Welcome back, Firing Line listeners. This is Rick Travis, 
the Director of Development here at the California Rifle Pistol Association, filling in for the great Phil Naiman, your normal host here on Firing Line Radio. And I'm here today with Chuck Michelle, the volunteer president of the California Rifle Pistol Association and the lead attorney from Michelle and Associates, which is the number one law firm on the Second Amendment in the Western United States. We just got done discussing the last segment about the New York State Rifle Pistol Association case and its meaning in front of the Supreme Court. Now we're going to bring it down here to California and talk about Duncan v. Becerra and Rody v. Becerra. Duncan v. Becerra, all of you probably remember more as Freedom Week. And Chuck Michelle and the CRPA brought Freedom Week to you through a lawsuit where we got an injunction by Judge Benitez, who I'm going to let Chuck talk about. But honestly, folks, I'm going to tell you, if you never, ever, ever Again, read an opinion from a law case, but you want to know everything to know about the Second Amendment. This is the, I think, in my humble opinion, the number one primer on the Second Amendment for people to read. Chuck, what is your take on that? Uh, the Duncan case is a fantastic recitation of the decision by Judge Benitez down in San Diego. a fantastic recitation of and summary of all the previous decisions. Uh, I do have to say, probably the Heller decision, if you're only going to read one, the Heller decision <laughs> is the one that, uh, that, that, that starts it all and really recant, recounts all the history and, and why the Second Amendment was passed in the first place. But the Duncan decision, I mean, it, 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 there are some parts of that decision that just bring tears to my eyes because he gets it so profoundly and, and, and applies it so correctly. Uh, that uh, I mean, it really is. It's a it's a it's a monument to the Second Amendment and to the the, the founders' reasoning in enacting it in the first place. And let's talk about you know where that's at because I know I get calls and as does the rest of the staff at CRPA. You know that was great, but you know let's talk about some of the ways that that has set us up and then also is connected to you know the current Rody Becerra case because I believe that is also with. Judge Benitez, is it not? Yes, yes. Uh, uh, so we're we're very hopeful about that case as well. That's Kim Rohde, who we all know and love. Uh, how many gold medals does she have? Six, seven, six, six, seven. and she's going for oh. seventh. This, yeah, she's going for her seventh this summer in Tokyo, which would which make would her. Be... The... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, that no, no. Make... You know this better than I do. Yeah, that will make Kim the all-time greatest Olympian in any sport in history because she'll be the first person to have went to seven separate Olympiads and medaled in all seven. So she's my hero, uh, and she's also uh, a believer in the Second Amendment rights. And she, you know, having her as the lead plaintiff in that lawsuit really drew a lot of attention to the the. Uh, the problems and the infringements that the ammo background check has created. There's been, um, it, it's something like 40% of people who want to buy ammunition are denied because of database, uh, mistakes and errors and, 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 uh, incorrect data being in the, in the state's databases on whether or not you own a gun, what guns you own, what, whether you have a criminal record that prohibits you. I mean, the, <laughs> you know, they can't get the voter rolls right. Uh, it's it's not a surprise that they can't that these databases, which would cost so much money uh, to keep up to date correctly, they're not. They're a basket case. This is why New York New York State abandoned 
an ammo uh, purchase background check law because they estimated it was going to cost them $100 million just to get their databases up to speed uh, and, and accurate. And so because of all the problems with California databases, um, many, many people can't buy ammunition. They've given up on trying. Ammunition sales are down very, very dramatically. This is really hurting FFLs, and it's hurting the people who want to be able to buy ammunition. Uh, and, and they're not finding people who are actually a danger uh, by doing these background checks. They only found like 100 people who were legitimately prohibited. And the problem with even those is most of the time people who are prohibited are not prohibited because they're a felon. People who get a felony conviction generally know that I can't own guns now. But there's over 30 ways to lose your right to, to own a firearm or to possess a firearm in California based on a misdemeanor conviction or some kind of a restraining order that you may not even know have been issued. There's, it's just it's very, very complicated. A lot of people who are prohibited from owning guns don't know it. And if they did know it, they could file the right paperwork to get their rights restored. But meantime, they're in there as prohibited persons. So out of hundreds of thousands of ammunition purchases and backgrounds checks, they found about 100 people who are actually prohibited, which means essentially nothing. It's statistically it's, it's essentially insignificant. So this law is not saving any lives. It's not making anyone any, any safer. It's just causing it to be more expensive and more difficult and more red tape to buy ammunition, which is what they want to do. All the most recent laws uh, go beyond, you know, you can't possess a specific type of evil black rifle or, or, or you know, uh, you, can't have a pers- you can't have a gun in a specific place. Now they're getting into laws that make it more difficult. They want to ban gun ranges, gun shows, make it impossible to have a gun store. So they, they make it harder and more expensive to choose to own a gun for sport or to defend your family. And that's part of the plan to murder the gun culture and, this, and effectively make it so that there are less and less people who discover the joys of shooting or who uh, choose to own a gun to defend their families because they recognize the value of a gun as a self-defense tool and a deterrent to, to criminals. Uh, so, so we're fighting back. CRPA and CRPA Foundation are fighting back at every level and we have, you know, we, we can file, we have, as I said, we have so many laws that we would love to challenge or re-challenge if the Supreme Court gives us back the Second Amendment with teeth uh, that we'll be, we'll be busy for, for quite a while. Yeah, and I want to talk about that quite a while comment because I think, you know, and we've discussed this before, Chuck, but if you could briefly explain kind of from the point of filing to the point of where we have a decision at some level, that timeline, because I think a lot of people tend to use as a reference their experience in court. And as we all know, that could be something as simple, um, not that's necessarily simple, but fairly short-lived, like a traffic violation that you go to court or a small claims action, or unfortunately, some people have a bankruptcy or a divorce. But in general, those all happen within a timeline of a few weeks to a few months, maybe a year or so. What is the well, average even, time? <laughs> oh, it could take years. It could take years. I mean, even uh, even a small business litigation, which probably there are a, a, you know more people familiar with, uh, that can be a year, maybe two, but it can be a you know a hundred thousand uh, dollar process uh, or less. You know, for a lot of those smaller cases. Challenging a law on Second Amendment grounds is is scorched earth litigation. You're up against a government that has unlimited resources. They don't care. It's taxpayers' money. Uh, 
and they will fight every aspect of a case that they can to try and defend uh, a gun control law. So we go up against the California Department of Justice or uh, uh, some city attorney's office, the L.A. city attorney's office, for example, and they will fight and, and use every trick in the book to try and not get a law struck down because they are... You know they're the ones behind those laws. There's the they're the ideologues with who believe that that uh, people shouldn't have guns, and so you have to first file a complaint. That's the thing that starts the lawsuit. You may or may not want to file a motion for a preliminary injunction, and then you ha- then you would need to do a permanent injunction. You may get pulled into what's called discovery, which is where you're exchanging uh, documents and factual information about what the other side was trying to do. For example, in the LA city blacklist law case, blacklist case that we just won uh, for the NRA, uh, we wanted to get into the legislative animus aspect of this, which is what was the city council saying about why they were passing this law. They were trying to claim that it was, oh, it was just a disclosure law, but really we knew it was uh, a, a way to try and cost the NRA support and, and, and scare away their donors and members. Uh, so you have to get into the motivation of people, though. So you want it their email, you want their social media. Uh, there may be other types of, of discovery that you get into, and that can take a long time. Uh, to. And then you have to do depositions of these people in some of these cases. Uh, you work towards a, a judgment, which is what closes a case out at the trial court level, uh, and you either get a judgment that you win or a judgment that you lose. That's true in any case. And then whoever loses can appeal that judgment. So if it's federal court, you're in United States District Court is a trial court level. That's where the roadie case. That's where the roadie case is. And then you go up to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which at first a three judge panel hears your appeal after it's briefed. You have to go exchange briefs. You try and get friends of the court to file amicus briefs. And then from there, you can go to an en banc review with 11 judges. And then above that is the Supreme Court. All of those things, all of those processes take hundreds of thousands of dollars pretty much each step of the way. Thank you. We'll be back for our final uh, time here with Chuck Michelle. We'll talk to you in just a moment. Hi, folks. Philip Naiman from Firing Line Radio Show. If you're a concealed handgun carrier or have a firearm to defend your home and are forced to use your weapon for self-defense or the protection of a loved one, you'll be glad to have CCW Safe on your side. CCW Safe provides and pays 100% upfront defense funds for high-quality attorneys, expert witnesses, and the investigators you need following a critical incident with no reimbursement. And they do it all for one flat yearly fee starting at $179 a year. CCW Safe has permit and non-permit plans to protect California residents in this state and while traveling across the country. So check out their new ultimate plan with no caps on criminal and civil defense, $1 million for bond coverage, a dedicated $1 million for civil liability, and many other benefits. You defend your life. CCW Safe will defend your freedom and financial future. In California, CCW Safe has got you covered. So join now at ccwsafe.com. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by Vortex Optics. Vortex, the force of optics. Bonham, what is best in life? To crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentation of your women. That is good. 
Filling in for Philip Naiman this week is Rick Travis, Development Director of the California Rifle and Pistol Association. This week, Rick Travis joins us on Skype. Welcome back, Firing Line listeners. This is Rick Travis, the Director of Development for the California Rifle Pistol Association, filling in for the great Phil Naiman. And with me today for this final segment still is Chuck Michelle, the volunteer president of the California Rifle Pistol Association and the owner of Michelle and Associates, the number one law firm for the Second Amendment in the Western United States. And I want to open up this final segment, taking off where Chuck had just discussed of the cost. The cost of these cases often exceed well over a million dollars. And here's why that's so important. You know, a lot of times when we go out and we buy a box of ammo, we may buy a box of ammo that is not that expensive. It's fairly cheap because, you know, we just want to go out and plink a few rounds. But when you're buying ammo for competition, you're buying ammo for a hunt, we spend a lot more money. Why? Because we want the perfect ammo, the ammo that is going to be the most accurate, that's going to deliver the results we want. Folks, I'm here to tell you today, I see so many well-meaning people in the Second Amendment community that put their money behind lawsuits, not understanding that a lot of times they're basically purchasing a wad cutter ammo. And I'm not trying to be funny. They're purchasing somebody that, yes, they have a law degree, but they have no experience. They haven't been tested. They don't know the system. They don't have the resources or the breadth and depth of knowledge necessary to get the win. Michelle and Associates has that breadth and depth and knowledge. They have the track record. Chuck Michelle himself has been up and sat in the Supreme Court when some of the biggest decisions on the Second Amendment have been handed down. These people know what they're doing. And that is important because we only get one chance to get this right when we're fighting back for our rights. And it's not just for us. It's for future generations. It's in honoring our founding fathers and all those who have laid down their lives in the military and as first responders for over 200 years for us to have those rights. And that is going to lead me into where I really want to start to discuss how to help you get involved in this fight. You know, often what I have said to people over the past year and when I'm out speaking is, you know, we get this big win, say on the ammunition thing. The problem in our community is a lot of people say, well, great, we won. It's all back to normal. And they leave. You can't leave. Folks, we are going to be challenged even with those wins. The other side is not going to roll over. Look what's going on, you know, with the the the, the earlier this week with Donald Trump. I mean, the moment that was over, we had the liberal left going, well, maybe we'll we'll go ahead and impeach him again. This is their mindset. They are not going to give up. We're going to have to fight. And we're not just fighting for California. We're fighting for the nation. And Chuck, I'm going to bring you back in on that because this is something that we've talked about that, you know, in my position, I am constantly trying to help keep youth programs and, and other programs alive, you know, when we get applied these draconian rules on ammunition and transfers and, you know, when you can, when you can't. Um, we're also going to have to fight to get the culture back of what's right. That, that's that's absolutely right. And, and you know, you, you started off talking about uh, the, the skill set that it really takes to litigate one of these cases. I just wanted to briefly say, you know, it's it's a heavy, heavy lift. lift. You're talking about constitutional litigation, and you have to be able to write research and write persuasively in a way that convinces these judges uh, and boxes them in, frankly, so they can't try and twist the facts or twist the law to come up with a result that they might prefer. 
And that's just not something that most lawyers can do. There's a reason that the lawyers coming right out of law school that are able to, that are good writers that are working on the law reviews and the, and the, and the uh, publications from the law school, they can go into a firm and get $190,000 their first year out of law school. Because that skill, that writing skill, is something that's becoming rarer and rarer, and it's inc- it's critical to be able to, to to write persuasively in order to win in these constitutional cases as they go up the the, the appellate chain. But part of this also is the the cultural environment that we live in, and that's part of that gives courts a comfort level uh, in in reaching its pro. Second Amendment decision when they see that there is uh, public support for the Second Amendment. So you're seeing, like in sec- in Virginia right now, these these uh, Second Amendment sanctuary movement and those kind of things. That just makes it a lot easier for judges to uh, to go out on a limb, so to speak, uh, to, to buck whatever the uh, the trend may be. And in California, the clear trend is anti the courts. The trend is clearly anti Second Amendment. Uh, so it's more and more important that folks get involved in like CRPA chapters and uh, uh, local local issues to uh, to fight back at every level because the the, the, the progressive side of this is definitely uh, working at every level of government, including you know local dog dog catcher uh, to try and get people with their ideology or that uh, march to their uh, to their direction uh, into those positions. Yeah, that's what I want to touch on. One of the things that we're doing here at the California Rifle Pistol Association that Chuck just mentioned is our new chapter program that's been going on for almost two years. And we've opened up chapters from one end of the state to the other. We have others that are being opened right now. You can find out more about that at crpa.org. That's crpa.org. And what we're doing with those chapters is, is really amazing because we are helping to rebuild the field by providing training, getting people trained up as range safety officers so we can put on huge events and show not just the people here in California, but the rest of the state that the Second Amendment isn't dead. Example of that is this weekend, we are out here at Rahagas where we're trained over 100 people to become range safety officers so we can put on the National Shooting Sports Clay Championship here in California that will be on ESPN2 and the Outdoor Channel showing the rest of the country that we are fighting back in every way possible for our Second Amendment rights. But more importantly, those chapters allow us to get involved, as Chuck eloquently said, at the local level, the farm team level. Do not buy this no party preference or I'm not involved in a party. Everybody has a position. And we need you to help us know what the position of those people are, because we're not going to allow people to get elected to water boards, school boards, dog catcher, and everything else that they start at the bottom and work their way up towards the Assembly and the Senate and Congress. We are going to stop them in their tracks. And how we do that is by holding them accountable of where they stand up for the Second Amendment. Because remember, ladies and gentlemen, if we lose the Second Amendment, all those precious rights in the First Amendment will go by the wayside. If you think that's false rhetoric, look around the globe, folks. Where there's no Second Amendment, there are no rights of the First Amendment guaranteed. And this is about fighting to stay civilians and not subjects of some kind of oligarchy or dictatorship. And if you look at what the left is trying to do, they're trying to take away your very citizenship and make you a subject of big government. To do that 
is just wrong on so many levels. And that's why the California Rifle Pistol Association is so dedicated as your civil rights organization to make sure that never happens. That's why we're grateful to people like Phil Naiman for allowing us this radio time to go ahead and tell you what's going on. But I also want to talk about Chuck Michelle for a moment. I'm not to embarrass you, Chuck, but you work unbelievable hours. There are times where I think I don't sleep, and I know that when I do sleep, you seem to always still be awake doing things. So I want to thank you for that publicly and to the people in Inland Empire because I don't think they realize just how tirelessly and how much of your life and your personal time you give to this cause. Well, uh, thanks, Rick. I mean, look, I, I, a lot of lawyers choose to do a, to choose a career based on how much purely on how much money they make, and they spend their lives fighting over uh, clients over money. And there's more to it for me. I'm not just an, an advocate, a legal advocate. I'm an activist. I mean, my chocolate lab's name is Heston. Okay, what does that tell you? Uh, <laughs> I believe in the Second Amendment, and it means something to me to be fighting for this, which is why I, I, I volunteer my time. I'm happy to volunteer my time. And, and to support the CRPA in particular, because the CRPA is, is the only group out in California that does it all. We have youth programs, women's programs, all kinds of shooting programs. We have lobbying in Sacramento. We have litigation, a, a full-on litigation program. We have uh, dozens and dozens of programs uh, that CRPA has been developing in the 145 years since it was first formed uh, uh, that, that other groups don't, other groups sometimes just raise money off what they think is the sexy stuff like Second Amendment lawsuits, and they'll hire some lawyer who's really not qualified or doesn't have the resources, but then they'll do these social media, relentless social media fundraisers uh, uh, to try and raise money, much of which isn't going to a lawyer that really knows what they're doing, and they don't do anything else. They don't have shooting programs. They don't have all the other things that the CRPA does. They don't even have a lobbyist anymore. Uh, uh, they've abandoned that. So so uh, other than gun owners of California, I want to make sure to give a shout out to Sam Paredes and those guys. Uh, there's just nobody else doing it all like the, or doing it as well as the CRPA is. And that's why I'm happy to donate my time and, and be a part of this, basically, this movement. And if the chapters continue to be as successful as they have been, I think we're going to have a lot of success uh, continuing to to develop the CRPA and get more people involved in, and, and win in court and the legislature and, and get more people having fun out pulling triggers. Thank you, Chuck. And I want to thank all of you as listeners for being with us today. And again, I want to send a big thanks to Phil Naiman for having us on. People, remember, be safe, shoot straight, and fight back for your rights. Amen. Shoot, Felipe. Shoot. When you have to shoot, shoot. Don't talk. The Firing Line Radio Show has been brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside, CCW Safe, Cutting Edge Bullets, Vortex Optics, Vortex, the force of optics, and by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. AM 590, the answer.